Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Uh, the terms you're probably familiar with are the public and private keys. So a public key, oftentimes it's also called an address. So for example, if you requested that I send some ETH to you, you would give me your address. Uh, and again, it's public, so you can share that. The private key, uh, I'll emphasize that you have to be extremely safe with it, and it's used uh, to sign a transaction, and I'll explain that process a little bit later on. Uh, you know, one of the foundations of blockchain is all the transactions, and the way to think about it is it's a message. It typically consists from a to and from address, um, some value, so if you're sending some Ether Bitcoin, it'll have a value, and you can also attach some data with it. So you know, it's a kind of, some kind of signal, or you, it can even be used to call functions on a smart contract. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. All right. Hey, everyone. Uh, thank you for coming out, and uh, thank you to Product School for uh, putting all these events together. Uh, so today, I'll be going over how to make a blockchain product, and that starts you know, with all the basics, the vocabulary, and the terminology involved. And then uh, we'll get into some of the more specific problems uh, that we have in this sector. Uh, so before we get started, does anyone want to share kind of, uh, you know, their skill level or ability in blockchain? Like, have you guys done CryptoKitties or, you know, like trading, Silk Road? Yeah? Okay, a little bit. So, you know, the question I get asked most is, what is blockchain? Uh, and the def definition that you're probably used to is it's an immutable and distributed data store, uh, and in Ethereum's case, uh, also a computation provider. Um, and let me break that down. So that just means it's a fancy database, uh, you know, where you can store and retrieve data, and that it is distributed over thousands or millions of computers. It's not just on one company server. Uh, but the way I like to explain it is that blockchain technology, it creates trust and enforces trust with software between parties who don't trust each other. You know, because the ledger is public and distributed, that means that anytime there's a transaction or some function over there, uh, you know exactly what's going to happen um, and that it can't be undone. So, you know, why has blockchain taken off now? I'm sure, you know, it's been all over, you know, CNBC and all the news outlets in the last couple of years. You know, so why is it so big right now? Uh, Bitcoin paved the way, and over the last decade, it showed that this kind of distributed ledger can be possible at scale. Before, no one's really tried it, uh, you know, outside of a few nodes. Uh, but again, Bitcoin showed that it could be done, uh, and it does work. And uh, you know, we're discovering there are uh, several features native to blockchain that wouldn't be realistic or feasible using traditional technologies. So. Uh, decentralized, that means that not one entity or company controls it, and you know, that's, uh, you know, that's a really attractive feature here. And it's always on. So again, if some company has to maintain a database or a server, it's really expensive, and it's pretty tough to be always available. 
with blockchain because it's distributed, it's, uh, it's always available. Uh, and it's uh, also self-sustaining. Again, uh, if a company was hosting it, they would have to pay a ton of money uh, you know, for electricity and security and everything around it. But because the, all of the incentivization structures um, with you know, mining, uh, there's incentive for all the miners to keep it up. So uh, there's no single point of failure there. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's immutable, so it can't be changed. Uh, and it's also threat resistant. Because of the way mining works, uh, it's not really feasible or affordable to try and manipulate or change the records. Uh, and a little bit about myself, uh, and I'll tell you about the companies and organizations I'm involved with. So if you want to ask me questions about this specifically, uh, I'll be more than happy to answer that. Um, but in instance, uh, I do blockchain consulting, and it takes one of two forms. Uh, either I go in and help a company figure out how they can use blockchain technology to either improve a business process or uh, how they can improve a, a product offering with it. And then uh, the other part of that is... I'll go in, uh, tell them how to build out a product, and then lead their tech teams to doing so. Uh, so with, uh, I'm involved with Slice. They're a real estate company on blockchain. So we do, uh, uh, we tokenize uh, real estate investments uh, instead of having a legal uh, a security. Uh, with Freight, we do supply chain on blockchain. And uh, we're building a new protocol for last mile solutions. Uh, with Block Science, it's an economic and uh, mathematics research firm uh, specializing in token economics. And then uh, with Decentral, it's the blockchain consultancy I'm involved with. So here, this is the really dense part of the uh, demonstration. And we're going to start with the terms and definitions so you know how to speak the language. Uh, the terms you're probably familiar with are the public and private keys. So a public key, oftentimes, it's also called an address. So for example, if you requested that I send some ETH to you, you would give me your address. Uh, and again, it's public, so you can share that. The private key, uh, I'll emphasize that you have to be extremely safe with it, and it's used uh, to sign a transaction, and I'll explain that process a little bit later on. Uh, you know, One of the foundations of blockchain is all the transactions, and the way to think about it is it's a message. It typically consists from a to and from address, um, some value, so if you're sending some ETH or Bitcoin, it'll have a value. And you can also attach some data with it, so you know, it's a kind of, some kind of signal, or you, it can even be used to call functions on a smart contract. Uh, transaction fees, um, and they're also known as gas. So every time you transact on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, there are some fees involved. And this is where Ethereum uh, really gets its value. So it's not just a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin is. Uh, you need Ethereum to run uh, processes and run functions on the blockchain. Uh, so you know, that's the utility of and you know, why it's taken off so much recently. Uh, signing a transaction. So this is the process earlier that requires uh, the private key. And what this does is it creates a signature uh, for every transaction and it proves the authenticity of a message. So you know, if someone creates a or broadcasts a transaction to send you know, five Bitcoin from one account to another, uh, we, use, uh, we sign the transaction to make sure that the right account, uh, uh, that the owner of the right account uh, created that transaction. And uh, you know, another term that you've probably heard before, wallet. So a wallet is an application. It could be a web app, uh, could be a desktop app, or it could even be a hardware key. 
and it stores all of your keys. Uh, and it can also be used for signing transactions. Uh, so, so far, do you guys have any questions on these? Yeah. I don't, yes. I have a fairly subjective question. Sure. Um, so, Ethereum seems to be, the way you posited it, it seems to be a uh, traffic-based a traffic -based valuation. Um, and there's so many factors that can affect the value of, of Ethereum. And, and Are you talking about the trading about, value? Yes. Well, Okay. And do you think that, um, vaguely, do you think that traffic is, in the way that you put it, is a minor part of the value of Ethereum or a major part of it? So, um, for several reasons, I'd prefer not to comment on value or speculation of cryptocurrencies. Sure. Yeah, so this one, uh, the focus will be a lot of the underlying tech. Um, uh, but uh, as far as the terms and definitions go, uh, everyone good so far? All right. So just two more pages, promise. All right, smart contract. Uh, this is a term that's uh, for computational blockchains. Uh, so it doesn't really exist in Bitcoin, but it is popular in uh, Ethereum and Definity and EOS. And you can think of it as uh, an application with some, con uh, with some functions. So someone could write the smart contract, deploy it, and it actually has an address uh, on Ethereum, just like uh, a user account would. So it can also hold tokens and it can hold, uh, hold ETH. So a lot of the functionality, uh, it could be like a really simple escrow function, uh, and you know you can get really creative with it. You know, have have it pay interest. Uh, you know, the sky's the limit there. For people who don't understand what is programming function, how do you find? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? For people who don't understand what is function, how okay. Um, all right, so the question was, you know, what you, you know, what is a function, uh, especially in the context of blockchain? So uh, you can think of a function. Um, you know, it has certain inputs, and the function can take a uh, certain action and take an output. So uh, if we were to uh, give a more specific example, let's say that, um, what's your name? Justin. Okay, let's say Justin and I were setting up an escrow contract. Uh, and the terms of the contract are Justin has to send 100 ETH to this contract, and when he calls a certain function, so, you know, like, you know, I gave him a book or sold him a TV, uh, then the ETH would be transferred uh, over to my account. So the function would be called play, uh, pay escrow, and as soon as he calls that from his account, uh, it would trigger that action and the ETH would be sent over. Uh, but uh, you know, a function could be as simple as adding up two numbers and then you know, spitting back the result. Yeah, so does that uh, clear it up? I, I studied programming, but I want to understand more. Oh, sh okay, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the, the driving force is uh, so the, the question was you know what triggers a function or how do you call a function? Uh, so that's done by uh, broadcasting a transaction. So you do that from a wallet app or some front end GUI, uh, and I'll touch on those two points later on. Uh, then uh, we have blockchain explorers. So when you start working with blockchain, uh, this is going to be your best friend. Uh, so Etherscan, uh, it's a website where you can view all of the Ethereum transactions and blocks. I'll just give you a quick demo of what it is. Um, so this is what it looks like, and you know this is the real Ethereum blockchain. You can go in, uh, just click on a transaction. You can view the history of an entire account. Uh, so here, if you're waiting for something to confirm or checking the status or um, you know how much ETH was transferred, uh, you you use uh, I typically use Etherscan. Uh, so uh, that's how you can track everything going on there. Uh, 
And last page of definitions. Uh, we have mainnet and testnets, uh, and it's exactly what they sound like. So the mainnet uh, in Ethereum, that's using uh, the real blockchain and real, real ETH. So you don't want to test on that because it can get really expensive. Um, and, you know, there's stories of people messing up and you know, just instantly losing thousands uh, of dollars. So you don't want to do that. Um, and then we have testnets. They use fake ETH. Uh, and uh, you know they have various test nets with different um, uh, with different proof uh, algorithms. Uh, and there, so you know, feel free to test. You can get free ETH uh, as you want. And uh, one thing to note: each of these nets, uh, they're totally isolated. They're their own blockchain, so they don't talk to each other. You know, so some you know something that you do on one net has no effect on the others. Distributed application. So this is the new wave of all the blockchain applications uh, that are coming out. So it could be a web, mobile, or desktop application that interacts with the blockchain in some way or another. Uh, and again, I think uh, CryptoKitties is uh, one of the first that has gone mainstream. And then a term you'll hear quite often. You don't have to know too much about it, but uh, you should be familiar with Web3. And Web3 is a JavaScript framework uh, that lets uh, developers create applications that interact with the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so here, uh, you know, we're going to discuss uh, Web3-enabled browsers. And that's just uh, you know, a web browser like Chrome, but it has the Web3 functionality built, built in, so it can actually talk and interact with Ethereum. And um, you know, on a higher level, uh, you know, this is how uh, all the pieces fit together. So you know you have your server, uh, you know maybe with a traditional database uh, hosted on AWS, and then you'd have a client which is you know the front end or a web app. So you know these two pieces, this is what you have on a traditional web application. And then we would use a Web3 provider, uh, uh, typically MetaMask, and I'll go into more detail there. Uh, and that's sort of a bridge between you know your traditional web browser and the blockchain. So uh, through it, you can broadcast transactions uh, and read data from the, for, uh, from the blockchain. And then, so now we'll do a quick CryptoKitties uh, demo to you know, kind of show each aspect of this. <clears throat> so, uh, oh yes. Uh, yeah, one sec. Is that any better? Okay, so uh, here we'll just do the simple transaction of buying a cat. All right, let me check the internet here. Okay, here we go. So uh, here, uh, now let's pick this guy. So here, uh, this is you know the traditional front end that you would get, but it is pulling in a lot of data from a server. So usually, uh, you can't store really big files like pictures or, or really big documents on Ethereum blockchain. It would be extremely expensive. Uh, so you'd use a traditional database for that. And then here, so so sign in to buy. It's talking to my MetaMask, but it is currently locked. So let me unlock it. And then I'll get into more detail of what MetaMask is a little bit later. So now using Web3, it knows that I've unlocked my MetaMask. And we can go ahead and buy one. So as, as, soon, as soon as I hit this, it'll trigger. Oh, whoops. Uh, so this is MetaMask. It'll trigger and create this transaction with MetaMask. And here you, uh, you can see. Oh, wow. All right. 
yeah, let's just, is that any better? I don't know if it gets bigger. Oh, there we go. All right. So here uh, we have, this is the From account. So this is my Ethereum account. Uh, this is one of the CryptoKitties Marketplace accounts. Uh, I'm sending it 0 0.003 ETH. That's how much the cat costs. And then, uh, so these are the gas fees uh, that we talked about earlier. And I'll, I'll touch on each of these points in more detail later on. And then, as you see, once again, to, uh, for this tran transaction to take place, uh, the transaction uh, the transaction fees go to the miners, and again, that's the incentivization that upholds the blockchain. So now uh, I'll go ahead, uh, go ahead and submit this transaction. And when I do it in the background, MetaMask is signing this transaction with the private key. So MetaMask is holding my private key. And then as soon as I did that, uh, here it sees that, uh, uh, that I've submitted the transaction. And now we can go ahead and track it on Etherscan. So you know, now we're waiting for it to be mined. Um, and this is pretty much as complex as most uh, dApps are at the moment. So going back here, you know, have, have you seen uh, the current state of affairs in blockchain? We're in the very, very early days. You know, things are still being figured out. Um, the user experience is quite poor in many cases. Uh, you have to go through a lot of steps. Uh, and it's not the most intuitive. Uh, and also just the computational capabilities of blockchain. Uh, right now it's still um, you know, a bit slow. I think you know, we're still waiting for the transaction to mine and it'll be a few more minutes. Um, but you know, these are all stepping stones and you know, it'll, be, it'll be running quickly in no time. So, yes? When you're saying mine, what we're waiting for is the miners to prove that you have the Ethereum to make that transaction? Right, so how that works, uh, when I broadcast this transaction, it gets sent to uh, a mempool, which is you know, just a pool with a bunch of pending transactions. And miners uh, pick those up. And usually they prioritize the ones with the higher transaction fee because the iner miners will earn more for processing those. Uh, but it is a bit of a random process. Quarter, yes? Quarter miner. Oh, yeah, so the question was, what is a miner and can you make yourself become an, a miner? So yes, you can go ahead. Um, you know, usually people buy a lot of GPUs. Uh, you plug in your computer, uh, connect it to Ethereum, and you can go ahead and become a miner. So yeah, anyone can do that. So even like, you know, this laptop could be a miner. And the matching between who pick up their mining transaction is automated, right? You don't have to go to a marketplace. They have right. Yeah. The the process. Uh, the question was, are the transactions picked up automatically? Uh, so yeah, the uh, Ethereum has protocols uh, that handle all this for you. So if you want to make money, just buy more CPU later Exactly, yeah. All right. So uh, blockchain has a few unique challenges as it relates to product, you know, just because there are so many additional layers and steps, uh, as you just saw. Uh, and because of that, the blockchain project, uh, product managers will typically require a deeper level of uh, technical expertise, just because you, know, you have to have some understanding of what's going on under the hood you know, with transactions and mining and accounts uh, in, order, in order to make a good product. Um, you know, so the, uh, you'll, you'll have to work closely with the designers to, you know, overcome and work with the caveats and limitations of blockchain. So the five main challenges um, of blockchain products are right here. Uh, we have user education, because again, it, it's such a new technology, most people don't even have any crypto accounts, so you'll really have to hold their hand most of the way. 
Um, we have the transaction fees. Uh, key management is a challenge. Uh, signing the transactions is a hectic process. Uh, and then, as you've just seen, uh, mining time and verification, uh, that's just a hurdle you have to deal with. So when it comes to user education, you know, as, as with any product, you know, kind of know what you can expect from your average user based on what you're building. But, you know, realistically, most people aren't going to have any knowledge of blockchain or private public keys or what a transaction is. So, um, you know, through the onboarding, you'll have to be really careful and just have a lot of messaging, you know, through each step of the way explaining like, hey, this is your private key. Don't give it to anyone. Don't lose it. Um, you know, this is what a transa transaction is. You know, talk about the gas. So a lot of it is just you know, having all the messaging and literature there uh, during the onboarding process. Uh, and many times, uh, they won't even have an account. So for, uh, in Slice, for example, the real estate investing platform, uh, we essentially have the option to create accounts for them, you know, just to help the, the onboarding go, uh, be really smooth and help them get started. Uh, for a lot of other apps, I've seen they have really detailed guides on downloading MetaMask and how to get MetaMask set up. So, you know, uh, it's just something to be aware of. And a uh, big part of the education is key management, uh, and I'll get, uh, more, uh, I'll get into that a little bit later. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. Okay, so we create the account on the front end. So we never know what anyone's private key is, uh, and we never, uh, we never touch or manage it. Uh, the user is responsible for managing it. Uh, but uh, I'll go over a few approaches to kind of you know, make it easier on the user uh, at a later section. So uh, you know, the other challenge uh, with transaction fees because there are transaction fees, that means to do anything on the Ethereum blockchain, you already need to have ETH. And you know, the real pain point there is it's, it's, uh, you know, it sucks to obtain ETH right now. It can take over a week. You have to make a Coinbase account. You have to do a bank transfer. You have to buy it. And then you have to export it from your Coinbase account to your MetaMask uh, you know, or whatever wallet you use. So you know, good luck <laughs> getting a user to stay on after that. Uh, there are a few solutions. Uh, one is just giving someone ETH or airdropping it. Uh, you just have to be really careful because it can get expensive and people, like hackers, are very smart. They'll figure out a way to abuse that. Um, and then there's a limited workaround uh, that I've done with a few companies. So with transaction fees, if you uh, write to the blockchain, you have to pay. But if you're just reading data from it, it's free. So you can do things that, you know, if you launch a token and there's a restricted part of your w app or website, uh, you can say like, oh, you need to have at least 50 of these tokens uh, to access this. So you can read for free, and that's, that's kind of like a limited workaround there. All right, so key management. Uh, again, I cannot stress that, uh, you know, when you guys go out and make your MetaMask accounts, you know, don't lose the seed words and don't lose the private keys and don't give them to anyone. You know, it's not like passwords, because uh, once they're gone, they're completely gone. And if someone steals it and creates a transaction on your behalf, there's no way to undo it. And you know, I'm sure you've heard of quite a few hacks of people losing tens of millions of Bitcoins or ETH you know, due to poor key management. Uh, so here, you know, this comes back to the user education part of it. Uh, and you really have to hold their hand here. 
Uh, there's a few solutions. Uh, if you're not dealing with super high value assets, you can just store the keys on your own server and you can sign transactions on the user's behalf. So in a sense, the user won't even know that there's anything going on in the blockchain. You're just you know, using the ledger benefits uh, of that technology. Uh, there's also hardware solutions. So um, the picture here, it's a pretty common hardware key that you can use. And now there's a Chrome extension that interacts with that, uh, very similar to MetaMask. Uh, you have some software wallets that live on the desktop. Uh, and then, you know, typically the most common solution will be a Web3 enabled browser like Mist or uh, MetaMask used with Google Chrome. Uh, for signing transactions, uh, again, every transaction has to be signed by the user's private key to prove authenticity or the blockchain will reject it. So here, um, uh, you know, common solutions, this ties in very closely to the wallet. Uh, you can store the key on the server, on your servers and sign the transaction on the user's behalf, but it is a huge security risk, so, you know, be careful with that. You can build, uh, you can also build wallet functionality right into the app or make your own Chrome extension. Um, and you know, that way at least the private key will be stored locally on the user's own computer and uh, the servers will never see it. Uh, and again, you can, uh, you know, the typical solution, uh, you've heard me say it a lot, is just rely on MetaMask for it. Uh, so with, with Freight, you know, we had a very similar issue. Uh, we need our users to be able to read data from the blockchain. We need them to be able to broadcast transactions. So for example, here we track the state of a shipment you know, from the time uh, it's created all the way uh, to when it's delivered at someone's door. And uh, throughout this whole process, uh, we store the state of the shipment on the blockchain. So we need to sign transactions uh, to update that. And here, uh, we made our own little Chrome extension uh, that our carriers and shippers can use uh, to monitor this. Uh, and here, again, the messaging and user education is crucial. So, you know, you kind of want to hold your user's hand through each step of the way because this is something so new. You know, like, imagine when someone used the internet for the first time. You know, it's a totally new world, a little confusing. All right. So, uh, with mining time, uh, again, once a transaction is broadcast, it has to be mined. Uh, and on the main net, it can take anywhere from 30 seconds to several minutes. It can even be half an hour longer if the network is really, really congested. Uh, they're, they're looking at ways to improve this, uh, but it's not there yet. And uh, one thing to note, if you broadcast your transaction with higher transaction fees, it's more likely to get mined faster because that's just how transactions are prioritized with the miners. Uh, you know, figuring out what the transaction uh, or gas fees should be just do that for the users or have suggestions. Like, even I have no idea what to set them to half the time. So, you know, make sure you take care of that. And, you know, there's functions that you can do to calculate that. Uh, depending on the level of security, you may also may need to wait for block confirmations. And what that is, is once your transaction uh, is mined, it goes into a block. And confirmations are how many blocks have been built since your transaction. Uh, so, for example, for a really, really high security application um, like Coinbase or GDEX, whenever you transfer crypto like Bitcoin or Ethereum in, you have to wait. So for Ethereum, uh, they wait for, you know, 30 transactions. Uh, in most cases, like uh, one, or sorry, uh, they wait for 30 blocks uh, to be built on top. You know, but that's for millions of dollars. For, more ap for most applications, like one or two is fine. And then... Um, 
so the one thing I keep uh, bringing up is MetaMask. And what it is, it's a Chrome extension, and it turns Google Chrome into a Web3-enabled browser. So you can think of it as a bridge between you know, uh, you know, the website and web in interface you see and the blockchain. And what it's really paved the way for uh, distributed applications. You know, before it was so complicated to sign a transaction, you have to go between you know, three different applications on your desktop. There's a lot of copying and pasting. Uh, so it's not really practical. And you know, with MetaMask, uh, even though it's still a cumbersome process, it's uh, way more streamlined. And uh, you know, it's really helped uh, the adoption of blockchain. And I'll just give you a quick walkthrough of you know, how it looks like and what it does. So, all right, can you guys see this? Yeah. Let me try launching a new one. All right, it's stuck in big mode. Uh, uh, but here uh, you can see the account, you can see your ETH balance, and it shows you uh, a list of transactions uh, that you made. And if you hold any tokens, you can set it up so it shows your tokens as well. Uh, you can have multiple accounts here, uh, and it's really easy to create new ones. You just press a button. And uh, when I mentioned there's a mainnet and a testnet, it's really easy to switch. Uh, you know, if you're testing out an application, it's all built right into the app. So any questions on MetaMask? It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a critical tool for any blockchain applications right now. Um, don't know the name of the company, but it's their own thing. Yeah. Uh, do people try? Yeah, they've, they're, all their code and repositories are public, uh, and they've been audited many times. Yes? Do you know of equivalents for non-closed source web browsers? I do not. I know there's a, there's a mist. Yeah. Yeah, there are several distributed browsers coming. Uh, I Even just Firefox, do you know of an equivalent for uh, I don't know. There may be one. Uh, there's also the Mist browser, which is its own browser. I don't know if it's open source or closed source, uh, but that's another solution. Yes? Where does MetaMask store the private keys? I read some articles that it can be hacked. It, okay, so it can be hacked if your computer is unlocked and you've unlocked MetaMask, uh, but it stores it locally. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to show you how to do it, but uh, if it, your computer is unlocked, uh, that is the one vulnerability with it. Hopefully they're fixing it in the next version. But yes, I mean I trust enough. Just yeah, don't. Physically, someone would have to go. Like someone would literally have to be up here, and I will also have to unlock my MetaMask wallet for them to see it. So uh, that very first thing when we opened up uh, CryptoKitties, um, and I put in the password, I would have to do that. And so right now, if someone took it, they can get the private key. Yeah. Even if they were locally, not on the server, but someone. Well, it, it's locked until you unlock it with the password. So, like, if you, if you got your roof app your uh, no, no, it, it's it's encrypted. Uh, it's hashed with the password. Yeah. All right, uh, something else. Okay. So then, you know, the main takeaways from this talk, you should be, uh, you know, familiar with a lot of the blockchain uh, vocabulary, terminology, and concepts, and you know, have a better view of how all the pieces fit together. Uh, and then you should also know, you know, what are the, you know, common problems when you're building a blockchain problem, uh, 
blockchain product and you know, how do you deal with those. Uh, and before uh, we part, I have a little bit of advice. So you know, this space is constantly growing and there's so much innovation involved. So don't be afraid to try new approaches. Uh, you know, just, uh, what I've shown here, it's, it's just a few ideas, but you know, a month or two months from now, there's gonna be you know, brand new tools and, uh, you know, to deal and address these issues. Um, and also, if you are interested in getting involved with the blockchain company, you know, find a few companies that you're really interested in, go through their white papers, and just reach out to them. I know uh, so many companies, they're always looking for talented people to come on board, uh, you know, and they're always looking for help and trying to grow as quickly as possible. Uh, it's a really open community, so you know, feel, feel free to reach out, and you, know, you have a pretty good chance of hearing back from them. Yes? What do you find to be some of the most valuable transferable skills blockchain community because in so many industries you know I machine learning let's say and database management there's lots of there's lots of people out there with skills this is such a new industry um, and so for someone who's coming let's say for machine learning or database management what are the kind of things that uh, that maybe you or your friends look for All right so the question was uh, what are the transferable skills from you know traditional tech companies uh, you know, tech programming languages into blockchain. Um, I mean, so a lot of it is just, you know, really creative problem solving. Because again, no, one, no one's an expert on Solidity. Everyone that knows Solidity, for the most part, they've only been doing it for a year or two. So, you know, everyone's kind of green in that sense. Uh, you know, if you work really hard to learn it, you have to be, you know, really aware, um, if you want to go into programming, you know, be really aware of the, you know, the low level, you know, bit level concepts uh, but um, I mean it's all about just you know really critical problem solving and being okay with a lot of trial and error <laughs> yeah Thank you. Uh, yes uh, so go based ahead. on the companies you mentioned you yeah before, or co-founder what, what was like the sequence where you, did you start with your company first and then work with those other companies or vice versa so uh, prior to blockchain, uh, I was doing a lot of consulting for start non-blockchain uh, consulting for startups. You know, they're building out algorithms or building out their products, uh, and then I slowly, uh, yeah, positioned myself in blockchain. Uh, yes, go ahead. These companies uh, that on blockchain, uh, mm -hmm. real estate and logistics. Yes. Did they exist before they launched the blockchain? No, no, they're they're very new. Uh, the real estate one uh, launched earlier this year, I think, in, I believe in February, and uh, the shipping and logistics company, I think it was either December or January. Are they live already? Do they have customers? They no, so we're in the build phase uh, for the for freight, the shipping company. We have uh, we have a prototype, and we're piloting piloting it with a few customers right now. Uh, for Slice, the real estate company, we're doing the build out. I can't comment on that. Sorry, there's so many security rules, I really can't say anything. Uh, yes, in the back. In terms of the uh, different blockchain technologies out there, obviously you're talking today about Ethereum. Yes. Uh, you know, just doing some basic Googling, there's things like Hyperledger and whatever else. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages of the Ethereum-based way of doing blockchain versus some of the others? So uh, with Ethereum, it was really the first uh, computational blockchain uh, to gain mass adoption. Uh, you know, it has its challenges. It, it can be quite slow, and uh, with the price of ETH right now, transactions can be really expensive. 
Like just the, not the cat, but just the transaction costs me like a buck fifty right now. So you have to be aware of that. There are new blockchains coming up like uh, EOS uh, and Definity that are supposed to be much, much faster. They can handle, I think, like tens or hundreds, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands uh, transactions per second. So uh, you know, there, there are faster technologies in the works. Uh, Ethereum will also switch over to proof of stake, hopefully this year or early next, and that should speed things up quite a lot. Uh, for Hyperledger, they're um, uh, they're kind of like a closed, uh, you know, closed company, uh, and it's part of IBM. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yes, go ahead. For those of us who aren't super interested in financial stuff, mm -hmm. all the cryptocurrencies and all that, um, where do you see blockchain evolving to involve other technologies, or is it all going to be like yay Bitcoin? Okay, so the question was, you know, is all this is blockchain just about the cryptocurrency hype, or is there a legitimate use for it? So all these tokens, uh, I see it as sort of a side effect uh, of blockchain technology. Uh, you know, the technology is here to stay, and it's going to change. Uh, you know, so many industries. You know, there are few other technologies where you get an immutable ledger that's always online and, you know, more or less unhackable. Uh, you know, so the technology is here to stay. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's just still being built out because it's so early on. You know, it's, there's still a lot of fine tuning uh, and discovery involved. Uh, so again, all, all the tokens are just you know one side effect of this technology. That's not what this technology is about. Yes. So uh, I'm getting into protocol design right now, and I'm trying to figure out how are you designing like protocols when you said the one for credit network. Right. Is it more at like smart contract level? It's at the smart, yeah, uh, currently Freight is on Ethereum, mm -hmm. uh, so it is at the smart contract level. It, it's not a new blockchain protocol, it's a protocol for shipping. Sure. And yeah. you guys do like more also like off-chain computation? We try to, uh, uh, it's going to be mostly on-chain. Everything is on-chain? Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, metadata stored off-chain, but the actual functional pieces are on-chain. Sure. And why did you decide to actually build a, uh, make a Chrome extension for your uh, participants? So for us, uh, we needed uh, a really easy way for users to uh, sign transactions. But all, you know, with MetaMask, when you sign a transaction in the interface, it's not really clear what you're doing. There's just a you know, submit button and hope something happens. Uh, with our own Chrome extension, uh, you know, it made it possible to give the users feedback at each state of the way. Because uh, again, education, like I can't stress user education enough. Um, you know, that's what's really going to make it or break it for blockchain. Yeah. Not at the moment. Uh, we, we can speak afterwards. Yeah. Oh, and uh, real quick before I forget, uh, if you guys do want to get in touch uh, after this, uh, you can. Uh, these are my Twitter and Telegram handles. So with the t Twitter one, there is an underscore at the front. Uh, someone else took the name I wanted. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Yes. Uh, Don. Got it. So the question was, you know, why would you want to use a blockchain uh, instead of uh, for your uh, backend or you know database instead of a traditional, you know, like SQL database? So uh, the way I see it, blockchain is a tool, and it's it has it's going to be used in combination with a traditional database, uh, you know, and with traditional servers. 
So there are certain functionalities of an app that do require extreme trust. Uh, so, for, you know, in freight, for example, you want to know the exact shipment, uh, state of a shipment, and you also want to know that it has not been tampered with. You know, if that data is, you know, on your SQL base and uh, that you control and can do anything with, you know, you don't have the advantages of blockchain technology. But, you know, we do store a lot of user and metadata in a traditional blockchain, uh, in a traditional database because it's not practical to do that on blockchain. So, um, I, I really think the benefit of... To store a large, um, I can't say. Uh, there are a few blockchain technologies uh, that are trying to solve this problem, but they haven't been launched yet. Yes. So if the price of the pairing keeps growing, right? So then transaction fees keeps growing. Yes. So one will be. So assuming that, like, let, let's like worst case scenario, it's gonna grow forever, right? And well, it's a at some point. Uh, so that going into too much detail, it, it's a combination of how many miners are available and how many transactions are happening. If, uh, if the price of Ethereum goes very high, there are going to be more miners because there's more money to be made. So it'll kind of balance out. But in terms of transaction fees, which basically Right, they're low. If there are more miners available than, uh, and there aren't enough transactions, then they have to accept lower transaction fees, right? Yeah. And the fees that they charge, is it like percentage of the... Of the no, no, when price? you create a transaction, you say what you want to pay. But it's amount of Ethereum, not the percentage. Uh, so, so yeah, and, and a lot of times, you know, these transactions, they do, you're not actually sending any ETH. You could be calling a smart contract function. And so actually, the more complicated that function is, like the more computations involved or the longer it takes to run on a processor, the more ETH it costs. Yeah. Yes. When you say that there are more miners and it drives the transaction fees down, you also said earlier in your presentation that um, transaction fees pay for faster, faster transactions. So are you saying that it's a combination of, are you saying it's more of a supply and demand problem or is it more of a, there's more guys out there so someone's going to be faster than the other guy? Yeah, so the question was, uh, you know, when you have a lot more miners, uh, but, uh, you know, the trans transaction fees go down, but also higher transaction fees are prioritized. So it is just like supply and demand. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right. Yes, yeah, in the back. Your customers are uh, taking this in. Like, can you say you build on top of blockchain? Are they more excited or are they scared? Or are they uh, well, uh, right now, it's, there's been a lot of excitement about the, t the technology, so it's been well received. But, you know, I always like to you know, don't have a tool looking for a problem to solve. You know, have a problem to solve and then use the right tool for it. Um, you know, and in these companies, it happens to be that blockchain is the right tool. And, and following up on that, are they reaching out to you because they have a specific problem to solve and they are kind of aware that blockchain can solve this? Or, or you are kind of uh, educating them that blockchain is So I, I've had both, uh, both situations uh, where, you know, certain companies are exploring using the, the technology. You know, so we go over the product line and also their internal processes. So if they have, you know, some kind of internal accounting process, uh, and you know, we'll see is it beneficial to put that on blockchain? Is it going to save them a bunch of money or give them better data? Uh, and then we we evaluate it. Uh, but for other companies, they actually say like, hey, this is what we want to build. This is how we want it. To, you know, they have a rough idea of how they want it to work on the blockchain, and you know, I'll sit down and figure out the architecture and build it out with them. Yes. React Native. Are you talking to Web3 from React Native? Yeah, I can, I can show you a demo. I actually did it for Freight very recently. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can show you a demo afterwards. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. um, What's the benefits to clients to using the blockchain rather than a centralized server? If, let's say, they want to keep track of like logistics or movements within like their own internal factory, is it for like external auditors, or is it because they're somehow going to be used in like outside of their uh, factories? All right. So the question was, uh, I think it, it was in shipping and logistics. Yeah. yeah. So the question was in shipping and logistics. What what are the advantages? Uh, to keeping track of it on blockchain versus at a centralized server. Uh, so a lot of it is auditing, uh, but the bigger picture is when you're shipping something, there are so many different companies involved and you know so many different modes of transportation and all the distrib uh, distributors. Uh, so it's because there are so many different parties involved, you need that single source of truth uh, from the blockchain. Do you guys use like, RFID? Uh, so uh, we are using Ethereum. We're not building our own blockchain for now. And uh, the other question was, do we use FR, uh, RFID to track items? Uh, we are exploring that. Yes, go ahead. Based on your experience working with Ethereum, uh, can you tell us your opinion about like, side chains for scalability, like uh, Lightning Network versus a whole new blockchain that has better scalability or TPS? Okay, so uh, the question was, uh, uh, what, are, uh, what are my thoughts on side networks like uh, Raiden and I think you said Lightning? So uh, the issue, that's related to the mining time and you saw how long it takes and you know, how high the transaction fees are. Uh, so right now there's some solutions to do transactions off-chain. Uh, it comes down to trust. You know, if something's done on a side-chain or off-chain, um, you know, for an auditing process, that's probably a no-go. Uh, but for a general use case, I think it's fine. Yes? I think for, for entire utility challenge, I don't see that the challenge of how you share the data, how do you make people trust it. It's a first mile problem. It's how the data being recorded. I think that is a big challenge when people talk about different parts. Like, how do you record right, that, that's that is immutable that people cannot destroy? Because you may either need your QR code scanning or barcode scanning or Bluetooth connect or, or some sort. Those can be hacked yeah. easily or modified yeah. before they even arrive at the blockchain. All right. Uh, yeah, so it's a specific, I guess, shipping question. We can talk about it later. Uh, but if anyone has more uh, I guess generic uh, blockchain questions, is it yes. So the question was, is it possible to stay anonymous? And you can stay pseudo-anonymous. So what that means is, you know, you have an Ethereum account, you have your public key, you know, your address that you're transacting from. Uh, you know, you have to keep a barrier between that public key and you and your identity. So if someone can track those transactions or that account to you, then you lose the, then you're no longer anonymous. But if you can maintain that, then, you know, no one knows who that account belongs to. Is it so difficult? Is it difficult to maintain that? Um, I mean, if... It depends what you're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you do a KYC process, then uh, it's pretty trackable. Yes. Uh, thanks for answering all the other questions. I have another one. When yeah. it comes down to like cost for the company, when they when you want to convince them someone to use the blockchain, uh, does it go into this conversation go into like cost? How much it cost the company to have it centralized or decentralized because of the fees? No, so that, uh, the question was, uh, you know, when I'm working with these companies, 
is, uh, you know, the cost of having a centralized server and database, is that a factor in the decision of whether to go blockchain or not? So it's typically not because for most of these projects, you're still going to have, you know, some aspect of it centralized. Uh, so it's not like you can do away with that completely. You're still going to have, you know, need a database with some of the bigger files and bigger data. Yes. Have you managed in this case to have something centralized and something decentralized to do the kind of communication between uh, between them? Uh, do you like in the centralized system create a, a node uh, that they they all open stuff and then connect to it, or just trust like infra or this kind of stuff like that? All right. So the question was, how do you um, you know, how do you reconcile having a centralized you know, s uh, server and database and, you know, uh, the block and having it talk to the blockchain, which is decentralized? So we'd usually uh, store uh, the user's public key. Let's say we have a user table in, you know, our private database. Uh, we, we would store uh, a public key and associate the user with that address. Uh, and you were asking about Infura? Or yeah, because, like, if you... Let's say you run your own node, and uh, and then you have your database, your private database that just fetch on this node. What tells you that your node is not corrupted, for example? Uh, why you wouldn't just get to any other node? Uh, so if you have a central node, it means like this node. Oh, is oh so okay. So you have something centralized and something decentralized at the same time. It's like if one gets corrupted, you don't even notice it. Oh right, yeah. So the question was, uh, I guess, rela related to. Um, you know, mining, and you can connect to certain uh, nodes to broadcast transactions and uh, read data from the blockchain. Uh, so that's actually a pretty complicated topic. We can talk about it later yeah. if you'd like. Yes. Uh, any other questions? Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for coming. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.